to, to take a look at what we did. Um, there were, what, 14 of us? 14 of us all together who trekked up to Big Bear to uh, spend the weekend together, to worship together, to just love on each other and spend time with God. And so uh, we, can I flip to the next one? Um, we started out the weekend um, with this theme, and this is a little-known scripture that I've realized does not get preached very much, um, but it's from 2 John 1, uh, starting with 1b to 3. To the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. So this was kind of our overriding theme of the weekend, the lady chosen by God. So Friday night we spent time um, just being still with God. So often we come to God with our laundry list of prayers, and we don't spend time taking in what God has for us. So we spent that time just being in God's presence, and the theme of that night was be still and know I am God. Saturday morning, uh, we talked about how Jesus is that precious cornerstone for a sure foundation that everything we do needs to start with Christ and that our priorities need to start with Christ because if our priorities start with Christ, everything else falls into place. Saturday night, I found, was probably the most powerful of the group, and I think most people would agree with me on that one, um, where we talked about um, who am I in Christ. Can we flip to the next one? Yeah, I praise you, meaning God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it was all about who God knows uh, us to be and who are we in the midst of God. Who does God define us as? Not what we define ourselves, but who God defines us as. And then finally, the last one, we, once we know all of this, we got to go out into the world. And we are Christ's ambassadors to go out into the world. We have been changed by God, and now it's our turn to go out and to talk to others and be that uh, ambassador for Christ. So we had, we laughed, we cried, we watched movies, and we really just basked in God's presence that weekend. And I, we have some pictures to show from that. So Paul, if you will... Yes. <laughs> the temperature. <laughs> yeah. Renee did all the food. Beautiful job.
Lots of food. Yes, we got bags that were prayed over with scripture in them. We got beautiful earrings. Becky found a wonderful place, and Maria and Connie for giving us lots and lots of snacks, which were so yummy. (laughs) And Mercy did an amazing job with Saturday night cooking. And, oh, it was just an amazing, amazing weekend. So... And they, and they let, yes, they're going to hopefully let us come back because we were such great guests. Um, so if you missed it this year, there's always next year. Becky has already hired me to come back and do it again. So, <laughs> so there's always next year. Always next year. Okay. You know, when Frank said that it's hard to come up with um, scriptures each week, I realized that, yeah, it is actually hard. And so when I was coming up with this one, I actually asked Rochelle. I said, Rochelle, I don't know what to preach on. What do I preach on? And she said, how about kings? And I said, well, kings I did last time. And she said, what about Joshua? I was like, okay, let me take a look. So I'm looking through Joshua, and I found a passage that I think would work very well. So you can thank Rochelle for this one. Because it is hard to come up with, you know, what do we preach on? What do we, what do we address? What do we think the congregation needs to hear in these moments? Um, and so I understand how the pastors do these series. Like we went through Exodus and we went through, you know, whatever, uh, New Testament stuff. I understand why they do that because it actually helps. But Rochelle is my inspiration today. She's the one who gave me the topic. Uh, let me pray for our uh, time here. Oh, Father God, we come to you um, each and every day, but especially this morning, um, opening our hearts and our minds to you. God, you have um, instilled this message in me, and I hope that it comes across uh, to those who are listening and um, open their hearts and their minds in the midst of this as well. Um, God, you're already amazing in all that you've done for us, and we just lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in my job, I get the privilege of working with a number of high school seniors. And this happens year after year after year because, you know, they get older. And I get a number of seniors who come through. Um, and I have figured out that actually this period of time right now is very distinct for them. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is that there's a group of people who are thinking, I have six months left of high school. 
and then I never, ever, ever have to go to school again. <laughs> I am done in about six months. And you see this realization happen on their face, like, whoa, this is it. I never have to do this again. Um, some that I work with are limping to that finish line. They're like, I got to get there. I got to get there. I can get there. I know I can. And so this period of time is like, you only have six more months. Let's go. You can get there. The end is near. The end is there. We're going to get you through that. Then I have a group of people who are actually looking at going on to college. So this period of time right now is when they are actually coming up with their applications and where they're applying and they're filling out the College Common App, which is now online. Very different than when I went through school. I had to use a typewriter to type in each and every application that I had to write away for to get it sent to me so that I can actually apply. Now they just fill out one application and say, send to this school, this school, this school, this school, school this school, and it goes. It's amazing. But on this, there's essays that they have to choose from. They have to choose one prompt from these essays um, in order to let the school know who they are. Now, from the school's perspective, it gives them a sense of what are this student, or how does this student write? So what are these students' writing abilities? But it also allows the school to get a better sense of who they are beyond just their GPA and their SAT scores. Now this essay portion, I have found to be a huge stressor. And even this week, in probably four different sessions, we're talking about the essay itself. How do I convey myself to a school? in this essay. And I've actually brought in some of the prompts that they are looking at, and I wanted to share them. So the first one is, some students have a background, identity, interest, or talent that is so meaningful, they believe their application would be incomplete without it. If this sounds like you, then please share your story. Another prompt is, lessons we take from obstacles we encounter can be fundamental to later success. Recount a time when you faced a challenge, setback, or failure. How did it affect you, and what did you learn from that experience? A third one is, reflect on a time when you questioned or challenged a belief or idea. What prompted your thinking? What was the outcome? And another one, discuss an accomplishment, event, or realization that sparked a period of personal growth and a new understanding of yourself or others. Now, some students are able to sit down and actually write this essay with no problem. <laughs> That's a few and far between. On the other hand, most students will actually struggle with First of all, choosing which one of these prompts do they go with. Um, but they struggle with actually answering them. And I've kind of observed over the years about three different groups that they might fall into. The first group actually feels like their lives are so unremarkable. 
and so uneventful that they actually have nothing to comment on. And so working with them to say, you actually have a pretty exciting life, and let's talk about it. What could you talk about is a way that we move forward on that. So they struggle with just coming up with something that's of importance in their life. For the next group, it's hard for them to choose one event to talk about because that one obstacle that they've overcome is not something you would necessarily write in a college application. It might be the one thing that is huge and major, but this is an application where they are trying to put forth their best self in hopes that they will be liked by a college. So the biggest thing in their life may not be what they end up writing about, and they might end up you know, writing about some secondary topic that isn't just as rich, but feels better and something that they feel less vulnerable about in this application process. Now, for the third group, one event does not seem to even capture who they are. So for this group, many of them struggle because their lives are not defined by one single solitary moment, but actually a series of events would describe their journey better. The problem is the prompts ask for, tell us about a time or a moment or an obstacle. And so they struggle with how do I you know, say who I am when I am a series of events that's happened to me. I actually this week was talking with a kid about how it's like trying to condense the entire history of the 20th century into one single solitary moment. It's actually impossible to do that. So the trick for them is then to reflect on not necessarily just one moment, but pivotal moments throughout that journey and how those moments have changed them, how the moments have changed their perspective, and how it changed their trajectory. All in 500 words or less. <laughs> so they have to condense it down even. Now, that brings us to the passage today. And when I'm reading this and I'm walking through this sermon, I want you to think about what's been your journey. Because that's where we are with Joshua today. So I'm coming from Joshua 24. We're going to look at 14 to 18. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now these words spoken by Joshua, Joshua is the successor to Moses. Joshua, like Moses, is considered a servant of the Lord. According to one of my sources, that term servant means an intermediary, a mediator, or a go-between. 
Moses was the first to hold this title of servant of Yahweh. And now Joshua has that title. In Deuteronomy 34.9, we read, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses has laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses is the man who led the people out of Egypt to the promised land. But it's through Joshua's leadership that commanded the people of Israel to conquer the promised land. All of that, of course, orchestrated by God. God spoke to the people through Joshua while they entered into that promised land. However, the promised land actually had people in it. Rick talked a little bit about this last week. Um, so at the beginning of the book of Joshua, Joshua is not has not entered into the land. The Israelites are still outside of the land, seeing the land. And he sends in two spies to scope out the land of Jericho. Those two spies stayed at Rahab's house, which was a part of the city wall. She actually protected those spies from the king's men by hiding them in the roof of her house and helping them escape. Joshua's most famous conquest, in God's name, was there at Jericho. God told Joshua and the Israelites to march once around the city in silence for six days with the Ark of the Covenant in their presence. On the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times, and the priests would be blowing the trumpets and shouting, and the walls collapsed. Joshua also sent those two spies back to Rahab's house to protect her and get her out of Jericho. So Rahab becomes one of the three women actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus which could be a whole sermon unto itself, and I'll do that one next time. <laughs> um, but just like Rick spoke last week about the 300 defeating, what was it, 300,000 people? If all the men had stormed the city of Jericho, tearing down that wall, then people would have talked about the might or the strength of the Israelite men. But instead, in this conquest of the promised land, God got the glory because they literally just walked around for six days in silence. They didn't tear down walls. They didn't storm the city. They just walked around it for six days in silence. And on the seventh day, they blew trumpets and shouted, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So God gets the glory. Now, Jericho is one of the first of many conquests that Joshua takes the people of Israel on in order to inhabit the promised land. So Joshua is their leader, but he's a leader who has that direct one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. God would tell Joshua what the Israelites were to do, and then Joshua would inform the Israelites to put God's plan into action. When they listened, it worked. Now, where we are right now with our passage today is that Joshua is actually at the end of his life. 
he is looking at the end of his life saying, I don't have much longer here. I'm getting ready to die. The Israelites are in the promised land. They have defeated many people. Um, they've, kept, they've left all. They've left some, excuse me. But, so they didn't defeat all the people in the promised land, but they defeated many in God's name. Joshua then is saying goodbye to the leaders of the tribes of Israel uh, and is passing out to each tribe their inheritance. He has assembled the people together to present themselves before God, and he gives one last speech to the tribes of Israel. This speech actually starts out in uh, chapter 24, verse 2, and it starts out by saying, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. So even at the end of Joshua's life, he is continuously speaking for God and saying, here's what God has for you. Now the speech he gives, I'm not going to read the entire speech because it's a, quite long, 500 words or less, <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, but he gives this speech that reminds the people of what God has done for them. He starts out with Abraham's father and ancestors who actually worshipped other gods. And then he tells about how he got Abraham, who listened to God, and moved through the land of Egypt, I'm sorry, the land beyond the Euphrates River, through the land of Canaan. God reminds the people through Joshua that God gave, them, gave Abraham Isaac, very much at the ripe old age. Um, and then from Isaac came Jacob and Esau. Because God wanted to save the Israelites from famine, he moved them down to Egypt where Jacob was. God goes on to remind the people that he brought forth Moses and Aaron, and then the people were brought out of Egypt. Particularly, he tells them, remember the way that that happened. And if we look at chapter 24, verse 6, it reads, When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. In the movie, The Prince of Egypt, it's a great, great scene, it's, even though it's a cartoon, where the Israelites are walking through and the water is huge on either side and you see whales and fish and other things swimming there and it's just this clear, clear path. So Joshua is standing there in front of the tribes of Israel saying, remember this, remember what God has done for you. And then finally, God recounts some of the conquests that they have actually undergone to obtain the promised land. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm wondering to myself even, why would God do all of that? Why would he do that for the Israelite people? Deuteronomy 7.6 answers this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured 
possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you because you were the most numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed out from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He did all of this for the Israelites because he loved them. So this has been the journey of the Israelites to this point. These are the highlights of their history, of their obstacles, of where they've come that actually bring them to this moment. God brought them through, and they have come so far as a nation. Now Joshua standing before them saying, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. This is the point where God, or excuse me, Joshua is saying, let us remember and restore that covenant between God and Israel. He reminds them in one sentence the response from the Israelites to all God has done for them. He's actually reminding them of something that Moses had spoken to them. Well, God had spoken to them through Moses which is found in Deuteronomy 10:12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. In verse 14, it reads, To the Lord your God belong the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Joshua is asking the Israelites to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Fear here meaning to recognize God's greatness, God's power, to trust in God, to worship him, to honor God, and honor him in putting his life, our lives, according to his will. The sincerity that he's calling for here is to be honest and genuine before God. This is not about putting a false self on and, you know, trying to look like you're a Christian or look like you're a follower of God, but actually genuinely being that follower of God, bringing about the true self before God. So Joshua, at the end of his life, wants the people to recommit themselves to God, to remember that covenant and to Put away the past. Joshua is calling upon them to choose this day whom you will serve. This past Friday, being that it was Veterans Day and I didn't have to work, I was home with Rochelle. Um, and I typically watch the CBS morning news 
in the morning. Um, but usually, I leave well before it actually ends. So I discovered that Let's Make a Deal comes on next. <laughs> it ends at 9 o'clock, and all of a sudden, there's Let's Make a Deal. And I was not in any rush to flip the station, so I'm sitting there watching Let's Make a Deal. Um, and I'm also thinking about this sermon as I'm thinking about Let's Make a Deal. So you've got on Let's Make a Deal, the host standing there next to some person in costume, and on this case, it was a gentleman in a hot dog suit, um, and <laughs> a hot dog suit. Yes, he was in a hot dog costume. And the host is saying, you can choose door number one, or you can choose what's behind door number two, or you can choose what's behind door number three. Now, most of you who have probably seen Let's Make a Deal know that there could be anything behind those doors. You could have $100. You could have a zonker, <laughs> which, you know, is this ugly little thing. Big thing, actually. Or you can get that trip to paradise. Now, I, in my imagination, imagine Joshua being the host, <laughs> standing there, saying... You can choose what's behind door number one, or you can choose what's behind door number two, or you can choose what's behind door number three. Behind one of those doors is the golden calf. It is the God your ancestors served in the region beyond the river. That golden calf is your past. You can choose that one, or you can choose another door, and behind that second door, you've got what you already know, what you're comfortable with. You've got the gods of the Amorites, whom you are living in the midst of. This one represents the current culture, the current influence. Or you can choose door number three. Now, the contestants don't know what's behind these doors. I'm sure they've all seen Let's Make a Deal before, and you know there's a zonker, or there's $100, or there's a trip to paradise. In this case, I think it was one of those sea views things, you know, so it was pretty exciting. But you don't know what you're choosing when you're standing there at Let's Make a Deal, because there's doors. You can't see it. Now, in my imagination, with Joshua standing there, we actually know what's behind door number three. We know that door number three has the Lord God Almighty behind it. We know that he has already proven how much he loves us and how much he has fo followed through on those promises and takes them on this journey. This is not a blind choice. It's almost as if you can see through that door to see what's behind door number three. So it's not a surprise as to what's back there. Look at what has happened thus far. Look at what God has already done for you. That's behind door number three. Not only that, in my imagination, Joshua at, as the host is saying, hey, hey, I would choose door number three. <laughs> So he's giving them the answer. Choose that one. Choose that one. As for me and my household, 
I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to choose that third door. I know what's there. Now, Joshua is in front of them saying, choose. And the Israelites standing before Joshua say, yes, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. Let's take a look at verse 16, 24, 16. Then the people answered him, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. He brought us out of Egypt, delivered us from slavery, and protected us on our entire journey. When I think about those there is this realization that our journeys may not always be smooth or without obstacles. <laughs> Mary knows, Mary knows. Our journeys do include some adversity and conflict. Our journeys may also include the loss of loved ones or even feeling lost in the wilderness. Nevertheless, through all of that journey, God is with you. As Rick talked about last week with the life of Gideon, God meets you where you are in that journey. And God gives us that choice to follow him. He loves us so much that he sent his son for us, but he still wants us to choose him. Now, I know choosing God isn't always easy. It doesn't seem like it's always the easiest choice. And sometimes I think we can often get overwhelmed by our own circumstances or what's right in front of us. We might be telling ourselves, I'm not worthy of God loving me. Or, I'm not a good person. I haven't done good things. Why would God want me? Or, there's no way God could love me. I've been through so many trials that there's no way God was with me in the midst of them. As I think about that one, I'm reminded of that anonymous poem that everybody had in their household about 20 to 30 years ago, Footprints in the Sand. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and the most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And God whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and your testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Sometimes, in the midst of our circumstances, it can seem like following God creates major problems, too. 
If we flash forward in Israel's history when they're in exile, we've got King Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylons, in power. Nebuchadnezzar tore down the city walls of Jerusalem, leveled them, leveled the temple to the ground so that Jerusalem would no longer serve as the center for Jewish hope. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of his articles from the temple of God and placed them in his treasure house of his God. Nebuchadnezzar is a very narcissistic, rich, angry king who creates an image of gold 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. It would be something the size of the Lincoln statue in the Lincoln Memorial. And he demanded that all of Babylon, all of Babylon, including the Israelites living in the land, bow down and worship that figure. They were also warned, if you don't bow down and worship that figure, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. What would you do in that circumstance? What do you do? You are fearing for your life in the midst of this place. Worship this golden God here, or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So the sound and the trumpets come out, and the do-do-do-do, it's time for everybody to worship, and the entire land bows down, except for three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone is prostrate in front of this figure, except these three men. And these three men are not your ordinary men. They were actually part of the king's service. They were working for the king. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the best and the brightest to be taught in the Babylonian ways. So he had his chief official train them for three years to be in the king's service. So the three men who chose not to bow down in the midst of this culture were three men working for the king. Nebuchadnezzar even stripped them of their Hebrew names. Shadrach means command of Aku, or Aku, who's a Sumerian, Sumerian moon god. But his Hebrew name, Hananiah, means the Lord shows grace. Meshach means who is what a coup is. But his Hebrew name is Mishael, who is what God is. God, capital G, our God. And Abednego means servant of Nago or Nabu, otherwise known as Nebuchadnezzar. But his Hebrew name is Azariah, the Lord helps. So even in the midst of the pressure of the land, the entire land, including the other Israelites who bowed down in front of this golden statue thing, and even in the midst of death, threats of death, from this angry, narcissistic king, and being outwardly stripped of their identities, they literally chose to stand 
and to serve the Lord. And sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar followed through. They were thrown into that fiery furnace. But we know the end of that story. We know that the, the fire didn't burn them. God delivered them from that fiery furnace untouched. And even people looking into that fiery furnace said, there's not three people in there, there's four. God was in there with them in the midst of that fiery furnace, protecting them from that adversity. Now, choosing God also means, doesn't mean that you won't go through trials or that you are exempt from hardship. Choosing God means that you have a way to cope with the trials and the hardship. You have an awareness that there is something bigger than what we are going through in the midst of our struggles. I want to flash forward in church history where we have Stephen. Stephen. (laughs) Stephen, who had been brought before the Sanhedrin on the charges of blasphemy for doing great wonders and miraculous signs in the name of Christ. Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, actually gives a very similar speech that Joshua just gave. Here's what God has done for us. Here's where he brought us. This is who God is in our lives. And we tack on to that Christ. That is a reminder. That is the end of the story there. There's Christ. And yet, for Stephen... We know his faith was actually very different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that Stephen gets martyred for choosing to follow Christ. And he, of course, is the first of many martyrs for Christ. So choosing God is not always the easiest thing to do. And yet when we remember what God has done for us, and where God has brought us, and what God's promises are, and that God loves us, it makes that door number three choice seem actually quite easy, even though we're in the midst of all of these circumstances. Now, when I think about making that choice and serving God, it also means that I'm becoming that intermediary between God and now the world. It's about having that relationship with God and speaking to those around you on his behalf to let them know God loves you. This is what God has done for you. This is how God has loved you. This is where he has brought you from. And I, when I'm thinking about this, I get to tell that story about how God has changed my life. You get to tell that story about what God has done in your life and how God has changed your life, how God has delivered you. Now, going back to those college essays, the lessons we take from obstacles we encounter can be fundamental to later success. Recount a time when you faced a challenge, setback, or failure. How did it affect you, and what did you learn from that experience. I would tack on to that. 
How was God a part of that experience? What did God do in that experience? Discuss an accomplishment, event, or realization that sparked a period of personal growth and a new understanding of yourselves or others. How would you answer those questions knowing what God has done in your life? How God has taken you on that journey? How God has delivered you from the past? So, my charge then this morning is to choose this day whom you will serve. Making that choice is about seeing and believing how much God loves us knowing where God has brought us from, how God has delivered us from the mire and the muck, that's life, and how we can share our journey with others. So, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I want to invite the um, prayer team up. I also want to invite the musicians up. Um, And as we're singing, feel free to come forward with prayer. Feel free to meet God. God knows where you are. God knows what path you've been on. God knows where you've come from. And he wants you to choose him this day. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. Know what journey you have in front of you because you're choosing door number three. You're choosing God today.